Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes, available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle at Amazon. And if you're an audio buff, and I know many of you are, you can get volumes 1 through 9 and soon volume 10 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So, folks, go out, get a couple of copies. And by the way, may I encourage you to go on YouTube and uh, look up Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters with W.J. Sheehan. Get on there and become a subscriber. Okay, become a subscriber, listen to them on YouTube, listen to us on your podcast player. But it would help me out to uh, gain subscribership over on the YouTube channel. So check that out if you would. And now, without any further ado, having flown back from Europe, my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. It's good to be back. Good to be back yeah, yeah. doing a podcast too. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, man. And you had quite a uh, you had quite a stint over in the European theater for a couple of weeks. Yeah, we were running around the UK, the you know, good old United Kingdom, and then running around Fromance as well, <laughs> <laughs> chomping on some croissants. <laughs> Did you actually have some croissants? Oh, my goodness. Tons of them. I didn't have yeah. any frog's legs, though. You know, <laughs> just doesn't do anything for me. You know, Kev, I, I, I'll tell you and I'll tell the people, uh, when you sent me that one picture of you standing inside of that uh, old pillbox up on the cliffs of Normandy, boy, that just, uh, boy, that, just to see the view out of the slit in that box and kind of reimagining uh, that morning and that day in time over there oh, was just, uh, yeah, that was, uh, we did, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit cause I think our listeners will be interested in that. Uh, we went up to Normandy in France and we did, uh, kind of a pretty detailed tour, uh, starting out in Utah beach and going up to Port Danach, which is where that pillbox is. If you Remember in the movie, uh, The Longest Day, about the D-Day invasion, where the rangers, the army rangers, scaled that cliff, uh, yeah. literally climbed the cliff. Uh, and that's where those um, pillboxes are. And they are amazing. Oh, uh, and then we God. went on to Omaha Beach. And mm -hmm. uh, our guide took us up into these German strong points, they called them which is where all of those machine guns were uh, along the along the coast. And there were like 18 different German strong points on Omaha Beach where they had this crossfire going on the beach. I mean, it's amazing. Oh, my God. It, it, when you're there, it's amazing that we won the war. Um, and uh, you really get a greater appreciation for how brutal it was for the folks coming up the beach. And then some, one of the coolest things, well, coolest probably isn't the best description, but when you're on Utah Beach, there's this house down the end of the beach, and it's the same house you see in uh, the footage of, like, World War II in color, where you see the invasion at Utah Beach. If you watch The Longest Day, 
they actually filmed parts of that movie on Utah Beach, and you see that house in the background. Like that was that was pretty cool. That this one house is still there. Wow, you know it's yeah. amazing that it survived somehow. I know, I know, but it's like the only house on the beach. Wow. There, there was that, and like a uh, a little cafe at Utah Beach, and now that cafe is like called the Eisenhower Cafe, um, and you can you can get breakfast there right on the beach. That's freaking crazy. Yeah, but now, it, was, it was spectacular. Really, really good to do. Now, switch gears just for a minute, because there's tons of stuff you could talk about, and I, I guess we won't, but you went to uh, Stonehenge. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say... You know, what was that like walking around in that area? And did you sense anything when you were there? You know. Yes. So we went when we were in uh, the UK, good old United Kingdom. um, We went up to Stonehenge or out to Stonehenge. So Stonehenge, I had never been there before. Um, It's about two hours west of London. And... um, uh, you know, we took a little van out there and uh, did a uh, self-tour of the place, you know, with uh, some stuff that I downloaded from the interweb and played it over our phones in our ear as we walked around the place. Um, and that's actually, Bill, I was going to talk about Stonehenge today okay. in our Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities segment. Okay, yeah, we can, so we can segue into that right if you in want. There. So, yeah, if yeah. you're on here and you were like, I don't want to talk about Normandy, I want to talk about cryptids. So, okay, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you know, Bill, with Stonehenge, I had heard about Stonehenge probably like in episode one of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, where you said, Where did you first learn about Bigfoot? Um, and I think I said on that old Leonard Nimoy in search of uh, show, right? Yeah, back, yeah. Way back when in the 70s. And Stonehenge is the same thing. Like, that's how I would remember hearing about it. And, folks, Stonehenge is that, I mean, if you're under a rock and you don't know anything about cryptids, sorry, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> that is this circle of stones. That's in the UK, giant stones. Some of them are like 21 feet tall, um, and they're massive, you know, weigh, I don't know, 50 tons each or something like that. And they're standing up vertical, and some of them have these cross pieces that are stacked on top of them like Legos. Mm -hmm. And um, there's all kinds of theories about this. By the way, we'll start out by... I learned that, like we all say Stonehenge, or at least my brother and I say Stonehenge. I don't know. We'll have to hear from you uh, writing in if you say Stonehenge. But in the UK, they say Stonehenge. Like they have this really strong emphasis on henge. And it was uh-huh. kind of funny. Both my wife and I were like, we would say, oh, yeah, we're going to Stonehenge. And the British would say, oh, Stonehenge. <laughs> Stonehenge. Ah, you have to kind of ah. lean in when you say henge. Um, so, so uh, you know, there are all kinds of theories on this. But then when you go there, it's just unmistakable what it was, right? So there's there's theories that aliens built this thing. Uh, people built it back then to to communicate with the aliens. Um, there's theories that it was a temple, uh, for worshiping, uh, things, worshiping gods, whatever. Uh, and then there's theories that it was a burial ground. Mm -hmm. And when you go there, like the first thing that's amazing about it is the area is huge. You know, not necessarily the hinges. They are huge, like giant. You're like how the heck could you possibly move these things? But yeah, the circle yeah. is of the scale you would expect it. It's up on a hill. You walk up a hill to get to it. Um, but then when you look out around it, probably for like 25, 30 acres around it, you'll see these mounds in the ground all the way around it, out in the distance. And those are all burial mounds. So these people in the Stone Ages, they buried their dead in these mounds all around Stonehenge. And 
I was there, Bill, and I never remember hearing anything about that, like, or seeing even pictures of it. So I don't know if it's a more recent discovery, um, but so it definitely is a bit of a burial ground. Well, now the then, mounds, the, yeah. the mounds could not have been hidden and were re- recently unearthed. No, no, they're out. But in you're this. you're right. I yeah. When you hear about the Stonehenge, (laughs) (laughs) you never hear about a burial mound around it. You hear about all of the theories about it, like you just were speaking about, but I've never heard of burial mounds surrounding the outskirts of the Henge. And they're, they're definitely there all over the place. Wherever you look, you see these mounds. Um, and uh, so let's we'll backtrack a little bit more, you know. So, right. so uh, these hinges are like it, it's a British word, right? And um, they they describe it. I'm going to read you their definition. It's a hinge is a prehistoric circular or oval earthen enclosure dating from around 3000 BC to 2000 BC. So huh. this is during the Stone Age. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of, and and that there's about a hundred henges that still exist around Britain and the UK. I'm sorry, around Britain and Ireland. Now, you know, isn't that odd? I mean, I don't spend a lot of time and I spend no time investigating henges around Britain. Right. But there's a hundred of these places. I, I'm sure they're not so grandiose. Oh no, they're not. I mean Stonehenge is very grand, but right, you can right. see these like in an aerial photograph. You'll see them in the ground because they they typically start with like a ditch that's dug around, them. and okay. they may have the ditch for many years, almost like a moat, without okay. the stones in the middle. Okay, and then they found history of wooden hinges, so like there would be posts in the ground. Okay. Um, in a similar arrangement inside of these ditches. And sometimes they call that, Bill, wood henge or <laughs> wood henge. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, but what's most amazing to me is you, you stand there and you look at these things, and they were built in the Stone Age like 5,000 years ago. You know, interesting, too, that you mentioned the wood henges. Uh, it seems like at some point a group of people were on a mission to make the henge to end all other henges. It could be, yeah. You know, because you had henge. these, yeah, the super henge. You had these henges made out of wood, timbers, maybe smaller stones. And then they said, you know, we must make the ultimate henge. <laughs> you know, and who knows, Kev? They were trying perhaps to appease false gods or whatever, you know, create the greatest edifice known uh, up till that point in time. And that's what they set out to do. Yeah, yeah. So, and then another part that's amazing when you're standing there with these stones. So these things, 5,000 years old, though. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, so another definition of hench, by the way, is like hanging stone. And what they mean by hanging is that you'll have these two vertical stones, right? Sometimes 20 feet tall above the ground, probably five mm-hmm. feet tall in the ground as well. And mm-hmm. then they have, um, um, what do you call it, a, uh, like a pinto on the end of them, like a bump. And then okay. they have a carve out in the stones that made up with them on the top. And they kind of click together, almost like a Lego. Wow. You know, like a 20 or 30 ton Lego. And they built these things 5,000 years ago. So you think of, at least I think of, 5,000 years ago as, you know, like the Flintstones, right? Stone Age. Yeah. And like nothing. And apparently, you know, they didn't have the wheel. And they, of course, they didn't have any technology and stuff like that. But they're pretty smart people, like figuring out how to do all this stuff. Yeah. Now, consider this, though. What time frame do we have some of the uh, earliest Egyptian pyramids being built in? Yeah, that's after that, though. But 
It's think, after that. I think so. But now you're testing my. Uh, no, world no, history. I understand that. And, and yeah. folks, we're not some wizards here that are the uh, font of all uh, information. Yeah. Uh, we're just having a conversation with between ourselves and a couple of million people. <laughs> but uh, I'm just wondering, you know, uh, there's quite a jump, obviously, in uh, ability, knowledge, uh, perhaps tooling, uh, that we go from the henge, uh, which is a very primitive looking structure, uh, to you know, putting blocks together that they can't slide a piece of paper between, you know. Absolutely. That that it's, weigh, you know, 20 tons a piece. Yeah, I mean, it's just that it always boggles the mind, you know, but... Uh, yeah. But jump, jump back a pace, though. When you guys were standing there, did you get any sensations when you were there walking around them? I mean, I didn't get any, like, supernatural sensation. I did get the sensation of... You know, wow, the scale of this is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Looking around as far as you could see and seeing all of these burial grounds. And then right. the other thing that I don't remember seeing at all, again, on any of the other descriptions, is what they call the avenue. So when you look down in uh, one direction from Stonehenge, um, uh, probably about 100 yards wide, and about a half a mile or three quarters of a mile long is an unmistakable um, path in the grassland, almost like a runway that goes mm. from Stonehenge out into the countryside. It, you know, it, it sounds to me it's almost like a parade ground or like a gathering place. Exactly, exactly. Where and like so, a multitude... So and that's my conclusion. So it's kind of cool. They don't tell you what the answer is when you go to Stonehenge. You know, the, mm -hmm. they tell you a gathering place, uh, temple, burial ground, or calendar. And I think it's unmistakably, though, my takeaway is a calendar. Like, they mm -hmm. built it to know when, uh, you know, it was either, and it's not clear on this, either the shortest day of the year or the longest day of the year. So okay. it was either, you know, some most of the experts that I read about say that it was designed to tell them when winter was coming. Okay. Um, so that they knew they had to put food away um, and uh, get ready for the long winter. And some say they did it to know when winter was ending. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, it's, it is true that um, when on... on uh, the shortest day of the year at sunrise and the longest day of the year, uh, at, I'm sorry, yeah, at sunrise or sunset, I get the two mixed up. Um, mm -hmm. It lines up with the uh, kind of the main stones of Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. So like if you were watching, you know, if your job was to watch the sunrise or the sunset at Stonehenge, um, you could tell when winter was coming. So, so, per, so perhaps all of these other henges uh, were built uh, in limited ways by smaller groups of people that didn't have the manpower. Uh, once the knowledge was gained of how to construct this time-telling henge, you could do it with uh, uh, trees, uh, you know, set them up like... Uh, you know, pegs in a board, uh, exactly. align them, align them in certain ways. So you could have your own little clock working for you or timepiece wherever you were and however small a group or tribe uh, you were. But then it just seems like collectively they at some point it, it, they had to have a lot of manpower to put the thing together. Yeah. Yeah. And and still so. 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 But you see my point, like it's pretty clear to me standing there that, yeah, they may have buried a lot of people here. Um, they may have had a lot of ceremonies here, a lot of gatherings here. But yeah. the primary purpose of the thing, I think, was to keep time. And yeah. you could imagine how critical it would be to keep time. Yeah. Right? When you had nothing else, basically, but you had to eat um, and you had to grow things, you it'd be really important to know when winter was coming, you know, for example. Yeah, no doubt. And when to begin seeding. 
Exactly. When to begin planting. You know, you don't want to yeah. start planting when it's a false false warmth. You know what right. I mean? Just like a, a beautiful couple of weeks in the middle of the winter with more winter coming. Yeah, no, um, and everything was ultra, uber valuable. You couldn't go oh, down to yeah. the Lowe's store and buy more seeds if you muffed it. <laughs> Not you even know what I'm default. saying? Not even Home yeah. Depot, I don't Not think. Not even Home Depot, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it, but I mean, uh, so the of, other think, thing that they had there, which is pretty cool, because people are like, well, how'd they move these stones? It had to be aliens or, you know, whatever. Well, they have a sled that they made a while back with uh, a mock-up of one of these stones on the sled. And apparently, you know, going back 10 or 15 years, a uh, hundred or so folks uh, in the UK actually moved one of these stones the 25 miles across the countryside using this sled. <coughs> yeah, it, it is remarkable. I, so I mean, it things is possible. Can be, yeah, things yeah. can be done. And they didn't have the wheel, but what they were able to do was, you know, put logs out uh, crossways in front of this sled so that the sled would roll along on the logs. Mm -hmm. And then you'd take the logs from behind the sled and move them out in front of the sled. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Kind of, I mean, it's a it's an early wheel in a sense. You know, it's not attached to an axle, but it is allowing the sled to roll along on these logs. Yeah, and, you know, somebody probably said, hey, we can roll the log, and it's circular if they even use that word. Yep. Why don't we make a slice and put something through the middle of it, you know, instead of rolling these trees around? Yeah, or like when they were first watching the Flintstones back then, they saw it and said, yep. why don't we do what Fred and Barney are doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. can't resist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to digress. Yeah. But, but so one more thing. So, you know, you were asking me how I felt. I didn't feel anything special other than the awe of being there, but nothing supernatural. Now, there are a lot of wild gatherings at these, uh, at Stonehenge, you know, on, uh, on the longest day of the year and the shortest day of the year. So, you know, mm -hmm. they, the tour, tour folks around the place were saying, oh, man, if you come here, you know, on the first day of winter, Oh my goodness! You'll see some freaks here, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And and now I'm not tying this to freaks, and no witches were harmed in the creation of this podcast. <laughs> but there were some witches at Stonehenge, laying around in a circle, um, on the ground doing some type of prayer thing. So yeah. a bit of a Wiccan of sorts. So yeah, um, yeah. You know, it was like, oh, well, look at that. Hmm. Yeah. What are they up to? A wheel of witches. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kev, uh, I hope the people uh, enjoyed this little exegesis just talking about the henge and whatnot. But, uh, you know, folks, uh, my brother and I and you, uh, we're here to have a conversation. It doesn't always go along with... Uh, um, you know, zombies and weird creatures running around and Bigfoot. Yeah, but it's definitely uh, other oddity. You know, it fits into cryptids and news and other oddities. And, and Bill, yeah. by the way, so folks, if you get a chance to do this, you know, obviously I'm very blessed and fortunate to be able to go over there and take a little trip over the Stonehenge. But I met with some of my friends in London that live in London, and they've never been to Stonehenge. Like, they've driven by it in the car. You can see it from the roadway. Yeah. Um, and I told him, I'm like, you gotta go. It's pretty cool when you're standing there. And, mm -hmm. um, and, but I could appreciate it. Cause you know, Bill, uh, I don't, I don't know about you, but like here I am uh, a native New Yorker now living in North Carolina for many, many years and living around the country before that. But like, I never went to the Statue of Liberty. I've still never been to the Statue of Liberty. Uh -huh. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, I think it's, for them, it's the same kind of thing. Like, why would I go to Stonehenge? It's right there, you know. Um, I've driven by it. But if you get a chance to go, it's definitely pretty cool. It's worth seeing. It's worth walking around. It's a good little hike to check out. And I'll put up some pictures, by the way, 
on BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com under this podcast, 212, 212, of me uh, and Stonehenge. I got some good pictures of it. We had a beautiful day, which is apparently exceptional at Stonehenge. Usually it's raining cats and dogs and super cold. So. Yeah, it's it can be a very inhospitable place over there, but they're used to it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, cursed myself to good weather because we both bought uh, new raincoats that were mm-hmm. easy to roll up and light to pack. And you know, we were out there in Europe for two weeks, and uh, it drizzled for about fifteen minutes one day. <laughs> wow! You know, Kevin, you buy I'm, a new raincoat, it won't rain. I'm reminded of uh, years ago uh, when you told me uh, those Irishmen uh, took you out to play golf on uh, the edge of the sea over there. Uh, What body of water is that? And the guy handed you a raincoat and you were like, what's this for? It's beautiful out. Yeah. And he was like, you know, don't worry, just take it. <laughs> just take it, yeah. That was uh, the North Atlantic there, you know, so it's yeah. brutal. On the west coast of Ireland, we were at Bally Bunyan, uh, yeah. a beautiful uh, historic golf course over there. So, And that was where the guy gave you one of the pictures off the wall, right? Yeah, that's that's a story for another day. So. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, he took a liking to this uh, Irishman from uh, the United States. Well, there's more to that. I'll tell the quick story here. But <laughs> that was uh, my friend used to go there quite a bit. Uh, uh-huh. He had business in that region of Ireland, and he talked me into going with him. And uh, he said, "I know this woman there, and she runs this small bed and breakfast, which was a a very graceful definition." of her business, you know, not quite a bed and breakfast. Uh-huh. And, um, well, we could stay there. And at that time around Valley Bunyan, there weren't a lot of hotels and stuff like that. It's a pretty rural place with a beautiful golf course. So okay. we stayed with her for a few days. And after the first day, um, she came to us and said, well, you know, I've, uh, in her best, in her Irish brogue, well, you know, I've overextended a bit. And, uh, um, apparently, she booked more rooms than she had. So she said that she would put a cot out in the stable, and I could sleep in the stable. So I slept with horses <laughs> in a barn in the summertime for the remaining two nights. Like, you can't make this stuff up. And then uh-huh. she gave me a picture from her house of the Bally Bunyan Golf Course that I still have today. I'm looking at it right now. So wow, wow! That was my uh, compensation for sleeping with the horses. <laughs> Fortunately, I like horses and like animals, so <laughs> I was talking to the horses. You know. Oh, it's freaking crazy, man! You can't yeah. make it up. Can't make it up. Can't make it up. So, all well, right, what do you Bill. say? What, so let's what do you leave say we... cryptids in the news and other oddities. And what type of creepy encounter do you have for us this week? Yeah, this is uh, pretty bizarre. Uh, this following encounter, which as far as my writings are concerned, came to me by way of a fellow named Andrija Horvat, a born and bred Croatian man whose name actually means warrior. And, you know, when I sit and ponder the extent of where Bigfoot can be seen on a global scale. This uh, encounter is one for the record book, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, So listen in as we hear what Andrija encountered while enjoying a day in a national park with his wife. As you know, William, I am a follower of your writings. And in the front of your book, you say, if you've seen something, say something. And it was in response to this that I contacted you in the first place. There is an area in my country by the name of Plitvis Lakes National Park. And it was in this very location in the summer of 2002 
that my wife Dalabora and I had our sighting of what you Americans call a Bigfoot. The funny thing is that my wife's name means distant battle in Croatian. And as you know, mine means warrior. So I guess it was meant to be the two of us being together. There have been tales of such things going back hundreds of years, but mostly everyone considered it to be folklore or fable, as did I. But on this day's outing, everything that I thought and believed was to change dramatically. This area was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site quite a few decades ago, and it is renowned for its many lakes that are arranged in somewhat of a cascading alignment, all of which are fed by runoff from the mountains and the confluence of many small rivers, as well as several subterranean rivers known as karsts. K-A-R-S-T-S. The main river here being the Plitvik and the subsequent 16 lakes flow through a gorge with the lakes being separated by what are natural dams of something known as travertine. These travertine dams are the result of deposits made by moss, algae, and bacteria. The encrusted plants and bacteria accumulate on top of each other, forming these barriers known as travertines. I should also mention that these barriers create small waterfalls, if you will, between the lakes as the water runs downward. Now, walking or going on or in the actual water or on these dams is forbidden. But there are wooden walkways set in place where people can move about, around, and across this beautiful aquatic arrangement without disturbing any of the natural wonders. My wife and I were vacationing this particular week and had decided to spend a day together in the park. It was a Tuesday, which means that we had the place for the most part to ourselves. There were others about, but few and far between. And so Dalabora and I were walking arm in arm on one area of the boardwalk. And at this point, there was tall green marsh grass growing on our right-hand side, hard up against the boardwalk. And to our left was the beautiful greenish-blue water with the wall of the gorge rising behind it. Wrapping around from our left to our right was one of these travertine dams of which I spoke earlier. This dam or barrier consisted of a hundred different species of plants with a half dozen small waterfalls pouring down or trickling over and through it. Now, up until this point of time, the only thing we had heard were the sounds emanating from these gentle falls as the water cascaded down into the river. Suddenly, from within the grasses or bulrushes to our right, the sound of something running and crashing through the water and plants began to resound from within the area. Dalabora clamped her hands around my arm and screamed, What is that? We didn't know what direction whatever this was was heading, as we now stood and braced ourselves for whatever may come next. And what came next was out of this world. As I said, <coughs> excuse me, the boardwalk curved around to our right ahead of us its light brown boards vanishing into the green growth of the grass, and then, bang, 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 something had evidently leaped onto the boardwalk ahead of us. With that, a huge brown creature jumped across our field of view within a single bound 
and was now positioned standing atop the Travertine Dam. Now standing with its back to us at about 30 meters distance, my wife let out a whimper, and it turned quickly to face us, perhaps not knowing we were even there until Dalabora had done so. With its entire face wrinkled in a snarl, it raised its head into the air, letting out what sounded like a loud wheeze and a snort like that of a horse, while lurching its upper torso towards us, clenching its fists. The two of us began to walk back away slowly and then began to run hand in hand. That was when the roar started. It's very difficult to describe the sound that it made. When I say roar, I am not talking about a lion, but rather the sound of a loud screaming shriek, such as you have never heard in your life, the vibrations of which passed right through our very beings. It was terrifying. At this point, both of us fearing the worst ran for what may have been 500 meters on the boardwalk. When a group of four people saw us coming, one of the group saying, what's wrong? What was that? I said to them, there is no time to talk. Get out of here. And reaching a point where we were now all off of the boardwalk and on a trail which ran along the side of the gorge, We stopped, trying to catch our breath as we began to tell the others what had made the scream, which they had also heard. This monster, which you Americans call Bigfoot, was at least three to four meters tall, covered in brownish-black hair, the skin visible on most areas of its body being colored tan and somewhat gray. And it's hands down the most muscular animal, if you could call it an animal, that my eyes have ever set eyes on. That my eyes have ever set sight on, pardon me. Why it was in the shallows within this grass is an unknown. But when it started to run, followed by leaping onto the boardwalk, Its feet had hit the wood so hard that the boardwalk shook. Believe me when I tell you that this was constructed extremely sturdily and designed to last a hundred years. This creature's eyes were amber-colored with large black pupils deeply set in blackened eye sockets. Its head and brow sloped upward into a conical shape that was completely devoid of hair. Heavy wrinkles of flesh consumed its entire forehead, as well as alongside its eyes and its jowls, and its teeth were visibly yellowed and stained. In my estimation, it weighed 500 kilos or better, And in all of my days, I have never heard of anyone speaking about such a thing being seen or heard, even to this very day. What do you make of that, Kev? Well, I I haven't heard of an encounter in Croatia before this. Well, I mean... But, I mean, part of that's the language, too, Bill, right? Like... There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool stuff out there I know on the internet, but I can't read it when I search on it because it's in a different language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know the thing is, who's investigating? Who's looking into? Yeah. Who's who's hearing about? Who's covering stories uh, emanating from these areas? You know, and again, you have to be there and have an interest, and think that the rest of the world has an interest. Right. Good but stuff, uh, though. Really cool. And it sounds very similar to accounts that we hear in uh, North America, for example, right? Well, they catch us off guard. We catch them exactly. off guard. Sometimes we see them at a distance. They're shocked. We're shocked. 
you just don't know what the, what the turnout is going to be, you know, when one of these events occurs, you know. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, if it's close quarters, it's always shocking, as you can imagine it would be. Yeah. Uh, I think my head be standing up <laughs> if I encountered one of these things in close quarters, and especially if it started barking out or making a growl or looking aggressive, you know. No, no doubt about it. Be terrible. I mean, listen, Kim, you know, uh, when I was in the, the work I was doing and a large dog would catch me off guard, I mean, that would freak you in a moment. You know, you got some giant snarling mastiff uh, or, or, or any other kind of beast kind of hemming you in and you're like, okay, now what are we doing? Uh, but you think of something of this magnitude, this size, uh, appearing aggressive, and just the size of it walking up on you or appearing would freak you out. Oh, no, no uh, I can't imagine, Bill. I mean, I came around the corner of my house uh, a couple of days ago, and there was a big snake right in front of me and scared me to death. <laughs> yeah, but what kind of snake was it, do you know? It was a black snake, but it was kind of, uh, which are harmless down here, but it was uh, up Kind of like, uh, uh, you know, you would imagine a cobra to be. So it was kind of... Yeah, doing that coiling thing where they stand up. Doing that coiling thing with its head like a foot up in the air. And I was like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stuff can catch you off guard, you know. Yeah, your heart skips a beat for sure. I can't imagine seeing something eight or nine feet tall growling at me. No. Jumping around, stomping on the boardwalk, leaping yeah. off onto this. And again, the old thing, Bill, going all the way back to the Whitehall incident in Whitehall, New York, where that state trooper that famously reported seeing the Bigfoot, you know, he mentioned that it was very frightening because he was seeing what he had been taught did not exist. Yeah. Right. So that in itself, like it's one thing me seeing a snake and I know what a snake is and I quickly identify to, to the best of my ability. OK, this snake isn't going to kill me. Um, right. It still scares me, but it, it, it's not going to kill me. But I can't imagine coming around the corner and seeing the hairy man and saying, like, holy crap, this thing exists. Like, Yeah. And at the same moment, the mind is trying to. Uh determine the best path of action, you know? Yeah, oh, exactly. And after you get done with your identification game in your mind, like, okay, not a bear, <laughs> not a big dog, what the hell, right, not right. somebody in a suit. What is this thing? And then you say, could you hold on for a minute? I got to get my iPhone. Exactly. I got I to right, get a smile. video of you. Hang on, chill out a little bit. <laughs> I'll try not oh to shake. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, just an incredible account, man. Uh, you know, it just makes you wonder. I don't think there is the type of investigation going on anywhere else in the world uh, that uh, the time and effort being put forth as it is in North America uh, relative to this, uh, the, the hunt for this creature. I'm not even certain, like, over in uh, Tibet uh, and areas of uh, Asia and whatnot, that there's a lot of investigation going on uh, relative to the existence of the hairy man. You know, whether it's the Yeti, the Roaring Pendek, you know, whatever it may be called. Uh, I'm not certain there's a lot of investigation going on uh, in these areas, you know. Yeah. It seems like we as Americans go into their territory questioning them trying to stir the bushes or to beat the bushes and get information. But uh, it's not like they're just sitting around making a no, big deal out of it. No, but I mean in a practical sense too. We have more, generally have more disposable income, et cetera, you know. That's right. That's right. We can do it. But we, we can do it. It's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff, Bill. Good stuff. Good, good, uh, good, good account. Good compliment to Stonehenge. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, though. That whole thing, Kev. Uh, I, I hope the people enjoyed just listening to it a little bit because it, it challenges your mind. You know, you're trying to enter into a realm that we're not in. 
You're trying to turn back the pages of history. Well, I mean, and, and that's why I encourage people, if you get the opportunity, especially if you make the trip all the way over there and you're roaming around London, you know, jump in a van. It's not it's not that expensive and go out there to see Stonehenge. And um, like both my wife and I, of course, she's skeptical of everything I do because I drag her around to all of these cryptid museums and stuff like that around the world. Um, but sh both of us afterwards were like, that was super cool. Way yeah. cooler than we thought it would be. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I encourage folks, if you do have the opportunity and you're fortunate enough to get over there, and certainly all of our listeners that are there in the UK that we hear from, if you haven't been out there, go out there, check it out. And by the way, if you have been out there and check it out and you have a viewpoint that's different than mine or supporting mine, Write in at BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com. Contact us. We'd love to hear from you. So, And speaking of writing in, let's do a little bit of listener mail, Bill. Yeah, Kevin, do we really want to hear from people that disagree with us? Uh, I do, but my brother doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bro. Listener mail. What do we got, brother? Yeah, so our uh, first email comes in from Kimberly. And Kimberly has written us before, and the subject is Minnesota Iceman now resides in Texas. Hmm. And she writes, hello again, WJ and KJ. A while ago, I wrote you about the UFO incident in Kecksburg, PA. And I did listen to your recent podcast where it was discussed. I made, uh, I recall I made a short reference to the Minnesota Iceman on display at our local mall in the 1970s. As I sat tonight watching Mysteries at the Museum on the Travel Channel, I was surprised uh -huh. to see the host, Don Wildman, introduced the story of the fake creature and learned that it now resides at the Museum of Weird in Austin, Texas. If you go to the museum's website, you can see the creature and read the story as, and hear how it was touted as the eight-man creature of Whiteface before it was debunked as a host, uh, as a hoax, sorry. It was, in fact, still on tour in the 60s and 70s, and that's how I came to see it as a child. Stay huh. squatchy, Kimberly. Yeah, so no, I didn't know that. Um, you know, I don't doubt that, you know, People think it was fake. Maybe it was fake. I don't know. But, of course, almost everything in the cryptid space is someone calls it a fake at some point, you know. Yeah. But yeah, every, cool everything. Hear, you know, we did that story years ago, Bill, about the Iceman. Mm -hmm. And then we've heard from multiple people out there that wrote in because we want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they yeah. and they said that they actually saw it. Like their parents took them out to the mall to see the Iceman who was on tour. Right, you know, and in this realm, everything's subject to the critical eye. And if you ever wanted to get an opinion on something, uh, <laughs> when you're talking about this kind of subject matter, you're going to get some opinions. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Welcome to the world of cryptids and other oddities. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Oh, my and, God. Uh, thanks, Kimberly, for writing in. Our next email, we get to the creep, which I'm ready to get back to the creep. Are you saying this person's a creep? No. Oh. <laughs> Brad writes in, and the subject is Dog Man. Uh-huh. And he says, WJ and KJ, greetings from Indiana. KJ, I know you have covered the dog man before on this podcast, but I don't remember if you covered a sighting in Michigan near the Manistee National Forest in Lower Michigan. I ran across the article on the web. It was dated September of 2022. Here's wow. the link to the brief article and a link to a YouTube interview. The interview is long, but interesting and creepy. I would love uh, you both to take a look at this article. Thanks for the great stories. Keep up the great work, and God bless Brad. Brad, I will definitely take a look at it, because I love 
dog man, and that's easy for me to say because I'm sitting here in the broad daylight today looking out the window at the woods, and I can see that there's not a dog man looking in my window. <laughs> but should he arrive? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. And we're going to end the podcast, Bill, with an email from uh, that's a humorous one from Greg. And uh, uh, the subject is Pig Man. And Greg (laughs) writes, greetings, my brothers. After the episode about the Pig Man and remembering the Seinfeld episode as well, I had to write... About the 1980s movie Private Eyes with Don Knotts and Tim Conway. I remember watching it numerous times as a kid on HBO. And at the end of the movie, they're driving away from the castle after solving the mystery. Tim Conway starts talking about the pig man called the Wookalar. And while he's telling the story, one of them looks in the rearview mirror and sees the pig man himself. The Wookalar. <laughs> the end of the movie shows the car swerving all over the road and the private <laughs> eyes screaming their heads off. <laughs> so, uh, good. Don Knotts, Don Knotts and Tim Conway. Good, and I did combo. watch that, Greg. I did watch that uh, uh, clip on YouTube. You can find it on uh. YouTube. And it is laugh out loud funny. I didn't remember it from back in uh, at, back in the eighties, but uh, it's pretty darn funny. And the pig man is everywhere. <laughs> Turns out, well, good stuff, Bill. Great podcast. Good to be back. Uh, I'm sorry we did miss a week. We did put some in the bank, folks, but we ended up missing a week uh, with my crazy travels. Um, we we uh, are sorry about that. We do love hearing from you, and we do love those five-star reviews, and thank you. I've been browsing the reviews lately, and, man, there are a lot of you writing in with nice written reviews and giving us five stars, and we love that. We, it keeps us going, and uh, we love hearing from you. So thank you so much. Keep up the great stuff. Yeah, Kev, I have to tell you, I had a pig man sighting. There was one sitting on a bench outside of the hospital the other day. <laughs> that might have been definitely, me. De- <laughs> definitely a pig man, I'm telling that you. might have been me. I don't know. <laughs> well, listen, folks, uh, always good to be with you. And remember, if you should find yourself walking around in the woodlands in Europe, or in North America. You best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>